Good Wednesday to you, Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett. Glad you're making us a part of your day here on 3 and Out. So much to get to here on the show. We'll talk with Ronnie Brown, part of the uh, great running back tradition there uh, at Auburn. Some great games against University of Georgia in that Auburn-Georgia series. And again, part of that uh, just legendary uh, backfield with Ronnie Brown, Cadillac Williams uh, there at Auburn. So he will join us coming up here in just a little bit. we got a lot of rivalry games uh, this weekend. BJ, we'll talk about those in just a little bit. And John Nelson. GPB Sports uh, will join us. He's got a new book out. We'll talk to him about that uh, as well. So a lot to get to here on the show, uh, but awesome week of football coming up, uh, BJ. And it's awesome because we get some rivalry games uh, as well. Georgia-Auburn normally played later in the season. We get it now uh, in this kind of new SEC schedule. And you're talking about Georgia, who's been virtually, I, I say unbeatable, but that might be kind. Uh, they have been impenetrable. They can't, you can't do anything against that defense so far here in the early going. And they've got Auburn, who, again, under first-year coach uh, Brian Harson, try to uh, make a statement if they could get a win uh, this weekend. And it's a little different to have Georgia-Auburn this time of year and uh, around the same time or on the same Saturday as Texas-Oklahoma and some other games. But it is a really nice weekend for college football, a rivalry spotlight. You have games with national championship potential implications. Uh, you have Penn State and Iowa in a top-five matchup nationally. But with Georgia-Auburn, Kevin, I think you framed it right. I think I think the question when you look at this game isn't even necessarily is it going to be close or you know can Auburn at home get Georgia in a four-quarter game. I think it's quite simply how does Auburn move the football. And I don't say that to be disparaging of Auburn. I think any team that plays Georgia – the question is, how in the world are you going to move the football? And the stats are absolutely overwhelming. There's a story up on ESPNCoastal.com that Christian did and talked about it on second down, comparing this Georgia defense to some of the great defenses of this generation. When you look at the numbers just this season, and we've seen Georgia be dominant in recent years, but one of my favorite stats that really shows just how incredible Georgia's been defensively is uh, right now, Georgia's allowing 3.38 yards per play. That's nothing. That's that's minuscule. And just so you have a frame of reference, the second-place team, Iowa State, is averaging 4.03 yards per play. So you're talking about well over a half-yard difference on average, and that is extremely, extremely significant when you look at data like this. Normally, first and second place are separated by – you know, a tenth of a yard, two tenths of a yard, et cetera. You're talking about a substantial number there that shows just how good Georgia's been. Georgia's number one in the nation in total defense. They're number one in the nation in scoring defense. They're number one in pass defense. Guess what? They're the only team in college football that hasn't allowed a red zone touchdown. They haven't allowed a rushing touchdown. It's, it's, it's unfathomable. I mean, it is beyond generational. It's historic. And I think all of us, even Georgia fans, Kevin, look at this game and you think, okay, Georgia's rolled the last couple of weeks. It's out on the plains. This rivalry is always a little different. And you think, could this be close? Could this be tight late? But then when you try to talk it out, how is Auburn going to score 20, 21, 24, 27 points? I mean, Kev, without a big play on defense or special teams, 
I think that's going to be really, really tough. Yeah, you're going to have to kind of create some of your uh, your magic, I guess, uh, for if you're Auburn. Hopefully you come up with something, if you're an Auburn Tiger fan, defensively, you said, to make that happen. Because just lining up and trying to go downhill at Georgia, well, that's been tried so far this season and it hasn't worked. Now, are there a bunch of dynamic offenses? I would say Arkansas might be the one where you said, okay, that was the offense that might be able to do it. But ironically, it's been what was South Carolina who maybe had the most success against Georgia's defense. Arkansas was shut down. South Carolina so far has been the one that actually has had the most success. And we'll see uh, if Auburn can come up with a game plan. Brian Harson and uh, Mike Bobo, certainly good offensive minds. Uh, but sometimes it, uh, good offensive minds can only take you so far when the other team is just loaded and stopping everything in sight from, from the opposing team. Well, and it's interesting that kind of the play of the game for Auburn and their big win at LSU was Bo Nix just scrambling around, running sideline to sideline, and then kind of heaving it up because you may have to do that a time or two against Georgia. And I think I think Auburn has playmakers. Demetrius Robertson's done a nice job for the Tigers. You look at the running backs, uh, Jarquez Hunter, Tank Bigsby, both over 400 yards already. Hunter averaging over 10 yards a rush, which is crazy. But I think the question is, even if you've seen Knicks settle in a little bit, even if Hunter and Bigsby and Robertson are capable of making plays in space, are you going to have enough time to let plays develop? Are you going to get a push at the line of scrimmage? Uh, you're, you're, you're talking about a defensive front that has been absolutely overwhelming. And it's not just the guys at the line of scrimmage with Jordan Davis setting the tone right there at the nose guard spot, but Adam Anderson and Nolan Smith coming off the edge. N'Kobe Dean uh, seemingly every game has two or three tackles for loss. I, I, I think the challenge isn't so much can our guys get to the you know open field and what do they do then? I think it's can you get out of the backfield? You know, if you're running the football and you're Auburn, uh, getting to the second level may not happen, but once or twice. And that's not hyperbole. That's just the reality of what George is doing defensively. So I think the kind of the easy overview is to say George is going to control this game with its front seven. I think that's pretty clear. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that this can't be a close game, Kevin. I mean, uh, Auburn's got a playmaking defense. They're in the top five nationally in tackles for loss. Big plays on special teams could be a factor. Maybe Auburn can slow Georgia down. But I think if you're looking at this going, yeah, Auburn can win this 28-24, that's not going to happen. I would be very surprised. I think we all would be very surprised at that. You have to take advantage of your one or two opportunities downfield. When you get a breakaway run, make sure you maximize it. Momentum, field position, turnovers. Can you get a short field? That's what Auburn's going to have to do because Georgia, whether it's Stetson Bennett, whether it's JT Daniels, I know uh, injury situation there at quarterback, Georgia won this game comfortably with Stetson Bennett doing a really nice job a year ago. I think this comes down to can Auburn get one or two plays, one or two plays that maybe gets them on the scoreboard because you're not going to consistently drive the football against this defense. Yeah, no, I don't think you can count on that whatsoever. Some other big rivalries this weekend. Texas, Oklahoma, the Red River shootout uh, as well. And again, this will be a future SEC game. Sounds weird to say still, even given the news. But two teams in the top 25. And if you are a fan of a fringe playoff team right now, one, you say, well, why do I care right now about the Red River uh, shootout? Well, if Texas wins, that obviously kicks open the door uh, there in the Big 12 for somebody else potentially to win it. And 
you might be looking at an Oklahoma team that might not be so much of an automatic thing. They're out of the uh, the Big 12, which would open up a door for somebody else to get in, and that makes things very interesting. Yes, agreed. I think Notre Dame, you know, will probably see everybody with one loss at some point in the Big 10, you know, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Georgia even, you know, if, if, if you were to get in a scenario where maybe you drop a game in the regular season and lose to Alabama, but you feel like your resume is still, you want Oklahoma to lose so that Oklahoma is, is out of the picture. And they wouldn't be completely eliminated. Uh, Oklahoma State still on the schedule. But when you look at uh, their schedule in the Big 12, you would have the loss to Texas if this were to happen. Iowa State has been a major disappointment. Uh, Oklahoma State is there. We'll see where they are at the end of the year. But I don't think you would have a favorable resume in comparison to some of the other one-loss teams or maybe, maybe hypothetically, even a two-loss SEC team. So uh, you're rooting against Oklahoma. It's not so much you're rooting for Texas. You want uh, as few kind of obvious choices for the playoff as possible. So uh, this is a great rivalry. It is strange to think about it as being an SEC showcase in a few years. Who knows when, but in a few years. But Yes, if you feel like you were a playoff contender, you want Texas to pull off the upset. Can you imagine the fans there at the uh, Texas State Fairgrounds start chanting SEC? Like, I just don't see that. Like, uh, maybe they will when they get in, but I just, that that would seem weird weird to me. Dude, everybody, Texas A&M, Missouri, of course they're going to do it. Of course. That would be one of the weirdest things I think I would have ever seen in college football, if that that chance starts bringing out other couple quick games, I know Arkansas, Ole Miss. I actually had to do a little research here to say is Arkansas, Ole Miss a rivalry? And I think from an Arkansas standpoint, they're like, well, kinda. Uh, they have had a couple what six overtime games between Ole Miss and Arkansas with some big plays. I don't know if I would consider it an end all be all rivalry, but it is a uh, a bounce back game for both of these teams. And somebody's going to be feeling real bad uh, on the losing end of this, having lost two in a row. Yeah, you go from being like a top 10, top 12 team to maybe barely being in the top 25. But conversely, I think the winner's in a really good spot to be in the top 15 nationally to kind of regain momentum after losing to Georgia and Alabama, respectively. No shame there. Uh, and potentially could be in a mix, uh, in, in the mix for a New Year's Six bowl game. Now, both of these teams, you're in the SEC, you're in the SEC West. The schedule is unrelenting, but a big bounce back, I think, for the team that wins this, and they'll be positioned for a high-profile uh, game in the postseason. We've got so much to get to here on the show. Ronnie Brown, former Auburn running back, going to join us uh, coming up in about 20 minutes. We'll talk uh, Auburn football with him. When we come back, a lot of news and notes out there around college football. We'll get to that when we come back here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We are also streaming live. You can catch the audio version, ESPNCoastal.com. Ronnie Brown going to join us coming up in just a little bit, Auburn uh, running back, former first-round pick, number two overall in the 2005 uh, draft. We'll talk to him about his time there at Auburn and playing against Georgia in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. But uh, a lot of college football news out there, uh, BJ, as we head into the weekend. Derek Stingley apparently going to miss significant time with a foot injury. That certainly uh, hurts LSU. And we talk about Coach O a little bit. Does that put him even more in a hot seat knowing he's going to miss one of his best players? Well, I don't, you know, I don't think the injury puts him on more of a hot seat, but the seat is hot. And you're talking about blowing the lead late against Auburn. That's a game at home. You feel like you should win what it had been, uh, 99, I think, since Auburn had won down there in Baton Rouge. And you've not looked great. And 
The national championship season was a dream season, one of the best teams we've ever seen. But you follow that up with a well below average season, and now the start you have, I think the seat is clearly hot for Ed Orgeron. But Derek Stingley has, has been one of the best players in the country. You hate that for them. And surprisingly, LSU still last in the SEC in pass defense. So now we'll have to see how they do without Derek Stingley. I think that puts, puts more pressure on Eli Ricks, who's an All-American type talent himself at corner. But yeah, LSU probably needs to have a finish here where maybe you only lose one or maybe two more games, I would think. It feels like the uh, seat is really hot on Ed Orgeron. Right, wrong, or indifferent, it feels like that's the reality. And uh, I, I think they're going to have to win a lot of games to cool that off. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch LSU coming down the stretch still with a lot of tough games there. Alabama, uh, some news there. They lose Jace McClellan. Uh, running back there will miss the remainder of the season with a knee injury. I know running back, typically a spot where Alabama is, uh, is perfectly fine, but uh, that's certainly going to be a, a tough loss for them. Good player. Versatile player. Uh, you've seen him make big plays on special teams in addition to in the running game and the in, in the passing game. Had a couple of really big uh, uh, moments down against Florida for Alabama. You hate that. You hate to see injuries for guys. And he was he, he was a player that served a number of different roles. And it'll be interesting to see what the scheme is moving forward for Alabama because we've seen the Crimson Tide really throw the football the last half decade and even the start of this season. But, of course, against Ole Miss, you had Brian Robinson Jr. run it 36 times. So maybe uh, more attention, more opportunities given to the running backs. You won't have McClellan there, but still a very good group. But you hate to see injuries like this. Yeah, and I imagine, uh, again, Alabama, when it comes down to it, they'll run the football right at you. And, again, Brian Robinson, he's good, but much like you saw with some guys uh, before him, Najee Harris knows, don't necessarily want him, as you said, BJ, running it 38 times a game if you don't have to. And looking at uh, the Georgia-Auburn game, some news out of Athens. JT Daniels doing some soft toss yesterday. Stetson Bennett apparently also dealing with a little lower back pain, uh, a little bit of a minor injury uh, there. So uh, some concerns or some questions there at the quarterback spot as they try to rest up and, and get ready for a big game against Auburn. And I think the injury Daniels is dealing with is one of those things that's, that's, that's tricky where you really just need to rest. And, of course, that's hard to do uh, during a week-to-week college football season. And if it's just one of those things where it's, uh, you know, can you go out and go, then, then yeah, you go out there. I would, I, I, I would guess Daniels would go out there and go. But how do you kind of walk the line between, okay, you've rested, you've rested enough, you're good to go. Could this, if you come back out and play, mean you're going to have to miss more days? Very complicated, very tricky, and you feel for JT and certainly Stetson with what he's dealing with. But I, I, I think we're all waiting to see sort of what the repetitions are going to look like this weekend. Uh, who's going to be the number one guy? Might there be a situation where uh, one quarterback plays and then if it doesn't go well, another quarterback comes in? We'll have to wait and see. But injuries like those are tricky, uh, especially when you're talking about the quarterback position and you're having to stretch and sort of extend your body and expose expose your body and throw the ball downfield uh that's it's it it's hard to it's hard to manage so i i think we're all kind of waiting i don't know that we're going to have a great sense kevin for what the circumstances are at quarterback until we get to the game on saturday and again bj it seems like georgia just by the way they've done it trying to you know milk jt daniels along when they've needed him they've played him when they haven't uab uh, I think maybe they could have used him against uh, Arkansas, but didn't need to because they got out to such a, a big league. But UAB, Vanderbilt really didn't have to have JT Daniels out there, and I think Georgia took some time to uh, to rest him. But it seems like when he really starts to gear it up, 
that's when it kind of flares up, uh, and they have to uh, to shut it back down on him uh, a little bit. But certainly, uh, this is one that, uh, as Ben has said, you're fortunate you have Stetson Bennett there able to step in. But JT Daniels, it seems like, and again, from what we've heard with the, this type of injury, rest, kind of easing back into the uh, the, the program, if you're going to have him play in some of these big games, this is going to be something that you probably deal with on some level for a good portion of the season here in, in 2021. Well, and I'm sure he's anxious and eager to go and uh, go out there and play as much as he can. And this is going to be a big challenge. We talked about Auburn defensively. This is a veteran group, really good linebacker play. Uh, Smoke Monday in the secondary seems like he's been there forever. But Auburn is going to attack Georgia, and we'll have to see, is it Daniels, is it Bennett, at quarterback. But one of the things that's really keyed Auburn's success this year is their ability to get into the offensive backfield and hit the running backs, hit the quarterbacks. And that doesn't always mean sacks, but Auburn right now is third in the nation in tackles for loss with 46. The only teams in front of them, Fresno State and Troy. So Auburn leads Power 5 football and tackles for loss. And what that generally means is you have defensive linemen that are active. You have linebackers that are coming off the edge. You have safeties that play close to the line of scrimmage. So I think that this is going to be a game where there may be opportunities downfield. Maybe Daniels or Bennett have to kind of throw to beat Auburn over the top. But I think Auburn is going to be near the line of scrimmage, is going to bring pressure, is going to try to force Daniels or Bennett to move or step up in the pocket. So this is going to be a game where you're probably going to have to move around a little bit. You're probably going to take some hits with the way Auburn really focuses on pressuring the offensive backfield. So don't know yet. Don't know yet. I think we'll learn more later in the week, of course, on Saturday. And that's been uh, that's been the case with a couple of Georgia games now where midweek, maybe you got the sense, okay, we might see both guys or I don't quite know. And then on Saturday, we got the information. I, I, I think that's the situation we're looking at here. Won't have 100% certainty for what the rotation is, if there's a rotation, who's good to go until probably game time uh, uh, in East Alabama on Saturday. Uh, certainly, and again, a number of games we mentioned with playoff implications, Georgia-Auburn, if Auburn pulls off the upset, Texas-Oklahoma, if Texas is able to pull off the upset, and one uh, there that we haven't talked about yet, BJ, we have a top-five matchup this week with Penn State and Iowa in the Big Ten, and a lot of folks are, are talking about, you know, does the SEC uh, get – two teams in. I mean, if you look at the Big Ten right now, Penn State playing really well. Top five team. Iowa, top five team. I know it's Ohio State and they got beat by Oregon. Only got one loss and Michigan is undefeated. So you've got to, I know it won't stay that way because a number of those teams are going to end up playing each other, but you've got some strength of schedule going on there in the uh, the Big Ten and Penn State and Iowa, might that be a playoff elimination game here in early October? Maybe. It's going to be a fun game, and it's going to be a game where points are hard to come by. I think this might be one where, you know, it's 9-6 to six or it's 13-10, to 10 and that's enough because you have two elite defenses. And here's what's interesting about this game, and you're right, this deserves national hype and attention. This is a top-five game between, for as much as you can be one of these in early October, national championship contenders. And right now, Georgia is number one in the nation in scoring defense, as we all know. Iowa is two and Penn State is three. So Iowa and Penn State are right there after Georgia as the most dominant defenses in the country. And, you know, you sometimes you see these low-scoring type games where it's hard to, you know, get that highlight home run play. You're not, you're not going to have a 75-yard touchdown because these defenses don't give up big plays. I mean, Kevin, I, I think you're looking at 
I mean, you've said this before. Is this kind of first one to 17? First yeah. one to 14? Yeah, feels, maybe in this game? Feels and like, the winner. It feels like classic Big Ten football. Might we be seeing more of a replay of uh, Penn State and uh, in Wisconsin from earlier this year? And that was a great game. That was a fantastic game that was dramatic. Came down to the very end. You had Penn State with the uh, interception at the end as Wisconsin was trying to go in. So I think those games are compelling. I think those games are nerve-wracking, right, when you're watching in, you know, a 10-yard gain feels like a 40-yard gain because nobody's able to move the football. But these defenses are elite. These defenses are absolutely elite. And I think for Penn State, uh, the question is, Sean Clifford, you know, are you able to make some plays through the air? Veteran quarterback, senior, has been pretty good this year, has 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. Uh, so I think he's a guy that you feel like can make a couple of plays for you. Uh, if, if, if you can get one or two big plays, is that enough in this matchup? Great line play, great defensive play. Can you get a home run or two? If you do, that may be, Kevin, enough to win. And the winner of this game, I don't think you're in Tier 1, right? I think Georgia and Alabama are Tier 1. But the winner of this game is a top Tier 2 in terms of who's going to make the college football playoff who has the best resume, and who's looked the best halfway through the regular season. Uh, certainly. Again, we've got a lot more to get to here on 3 and Out. We're talking more college on this Wednesday. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett, glad you're making us a part of your day. The Deep South's oldest rivalry coming up this weekend. And uh, joining us here, uh, Auburn legend. First-round draft pick, number two overall in 2005 by the Miami Dolphins. Was on the 13-0 Auburn Tigers team in 2004. Ronnie Brown joins us here on 3 Now. Ronnie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How you doing? Uh, man, we are doing fantastic. Hey, we're doing fantastic. And you talk about that 13-0 year. You got a couple of teams in the SEC right now that look invincible. Alabama and Georgia, the way they're playing right now. Take us back to 2004 when you guys were 13-0, and 0, and when did you kind of get the sense like there, there's nobody out there that's going to beat us? Um, I don't think we ever got that sense. I think we had an opportunity. I think we realized that, but you know, I think our advantage was we kept it on a weekly basis, um, and so we just got to take care of business because everyone knows once you hit that stride, especially in SEC games, um, anything can happen. And so we had a close call with LSU. Um, and so the reality was, like, let's just take it one week at a time. Um, we feel like we can beat anybody as long as we play our best, but that's going to require our best on a weekly basis. And so um, that was the mentality we had. Ronnie, this game has featured so many incredible legendary running backs, yourself included, uh, two schools that love to claim running back you and for good reason. What does it mean to you to be a part of a rivalry in a series where some of the best running backs in college football have been on display? Well, I mean, I think it's, one, it's about tradition. Um, you know, I think just in the Southeast, you know, football holds its weight when you talk about, like, the importance of sports. And so when you think about that, to go to one of these two schools, you know, and there's so many down here in the SEC, um, you know, when we talk about Georgia and Auburn, you know, I think the importance of the running back position, it's always been a big part of what the football team's done. Um, and so guys take pride in that. And so it was a big thing for me when I first signed with Auburn to kind of know the history of some of the guys that came before me. Obviously, you got Bo Jackson, um, you have Lionel James, you have, you know, uh, you know, uh, Stephen Davis, you have um, William Andrews, you have um, uh, Cadillac, you have myself, you have 
you know, so many guys. And so to understand that, but then also I am a kid from Georgia. And so I knew about Herschel. You know, Garrison Hurst was one of my favorites. Um, I had an older cousin, Keith Henderson, who played running back at Georgia. And so when you think about the rich tradition of that, um, you know, I think that's a big part of it as well. And so, um, you know, you just want to be a part of that tradition. And so it was, you know, a great part. It was a great honor for me to be able to carry that torch for Auburn. Um, and so I took pride in how I did and, you know, being able to be a part of those legacies. I was going to say, uh, a Georgia kid going to Auburn. We've talked to, I know uh, Ben is normally on with us uh, from Georgia, went to Florida. What's it like being on the other side there uh, as a kid from Georgia playing for Auburn and having, I'm sure, a lot of your family and friends from back home going, wait a minute, I got to pull for Auburn now. Yeah, um, it was different. You know, I grew up a Georgia fan. I like Georgia. Um, you know, but I was really a baseball fan, and so if it would have been my choice, you know, had I gotten a full scholarship, full ride to Florida State to play baseball, that may have been my choice. But choosing the football side, I knew I wanted to be in the SEC. Um, and so, you know, being a Georgia fan, and then I think them kind of joining the recruiting party a little late, um, to some degree, if I'm honest with everybody, I'm like, you know, I felt like it was a slap in the face that, you know, I'm a kid homegrown in Georgia, and I felt like the emphasis or – you know, I think the importance wasn't there. Um, Musa Smith and myself were being recruited around the same time. And so, um, you know, I'm like, man, I'm a local guy, you know, not far from Athens. Um, you know, and so that kind of rubbed me the wrong way initially. And so I was like, you know what, Tennessee and Auburn showed up on a weekly basis. And so it came down to making a decision between those two. And so, you know, I'm happy that I chose uh, Auburn. But, you know, I think when you look back at it, um, you know, it was different. And I wanted to do something different because so many people from my high school go to Georgia so many guys that I knew um, became friendships built friendships with were at Georgia so it, it was kind of good to kind of go uh, you know a little bit along the path of the unbeaten uh, in terms of you know the road less traveled not doing what everyone expected me to do in terms of going to Georgia when you think about your time in this rivalry uh, what stands out to you um, I think the physicality of the game um, because there's so many familiar faces like you look at the rosters at Auburn you know, we typically had a lot of guys from Georgia. Um, and so, you know, for me, not knowing the importance or the history of, you know, the Iron Bowl, you know, the Auburn-Georgia game was my, you know, claim to fame because it's like I got to go back home being a kid from Georgia, so I want those bragging rights. And so, you know, I always circled that on the calendar, of, you know, and a large part of that was, like I said, not feeling like I was recruited early in that process. Um, and so – you know, I always wanted to beat Georgia, but, you know, I think that's the same thing even now. You look at Auburn's roster, there's a lot of guys from Georgia, and so there's those, there's that uh, familiarity there, um, being recruited by Georgia, you know, for some of the guys and, you know, wanting to beat that home team state or that home state uh, team, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And so, you know, when you look at it, there's a lot of guys who have that um, in their core. They want to beat it. You know, and your, your family members more times than not are, are Georgia fans. And so, you know, with the exception of you coming to Auburn, that's their affiliation. That's the team that they grew up kind of rooting for. Ronnie Brown joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Ronnie, something BJ and I were talking about earlier on the show, as you watch this Georgia team, how, how do you score against this Georgia defense right now? And if you're uh, Coach Harson and that Auburn uh, staff, what what are you trying to do on Saturday to get yourself in the end zone? Well, I think when you play in Georgia, I mean, obviously this defense they have now, um, you know, they're probably their number one ranked defense when it comes to total yards, passing yards, um, you know, points scored, uh, fourth against the rush. And so I think when you look at that, 
if I'm game planning Georgia, I'm taking a, a a New England approach with Tom Brady. I'm not holding the ball for an extended period of time. Their defensive line, you know, so good. Their linebackers run so fast, and so you know, you got to try to get the ball out, get some easy plays. Um, you know, none of them going to be really easier, but try to limit. Um, you know, I think the chances of them getting a chance to get in the backfield and disrupt plays. And so, you know, you try to do some quick stuff. You involve the tight end. You involve, you know, some, some, you know, some quick throws, some hitches. And, you know, you try to force some of those D linemen to run a little bit more because they are bigger. Um, you try to get on the edge a little bit more. And so you try to take that approach. And then you can get the easy throws, the check down, the, you know, the, the shorter distance throws, which are extended handoffs. Then I think you have to take the advantage of those and not really – um, try to force anything, and then when you do get a chance to take a shot here and there, you have to hit on those, um, and you can't turn the football over. And so, you know, I think that's the key to it. Um, but it's not really holding the ball and taking advantage of some of the easy things that they're going to give you. Ronnie, what impresses you the most about uh, the current collection of Auburn running backs? Jarquez Hunter, Tank Bigsby, uh, and others have been really productive this season. Well, I think they – they complement each other really well. Um, and so when you look at, you know, Tank Bigsby, you look at Jacquez Hunter, you look at Sean Shivers, I think being able to utilize all three of those guys because they bring something different to the game. Um, but they're a talented group of guys. But when you look at it, when you start getting against opponents like this, you need a few guys, um, you know, for, you know, that injury purpose. You know, hopefully nobody gets injured. But at the same time, you know, not getting fatigued. When you feel comfortable, you can go out of the game and get a breather, you know, knowing that the guy next to you or behind you is going to take care of business. And so I think that adds a little bit to it. Georgia has the same thing. And, you know, I think in their group of running backs as well. And so when you look at that, um, I think they have a good group. Um, but now it's kind of that time of year where, you know, it's a little bit more physical. And so you got to understand every play is not going to be a home run place. You got to stay between the tackles and, you know, you just got to play within the system because, you know, it's going to be some plays where you get two yards, you get one yard, you get three yards. And so this is when you start to grind it out. And, you know, that's the important part of understanding how to be a running back at this level, especially with this type of uh, competition. Ronnie Brown joining us here on Three and Out. And, uh, Ronnie, how do you kind of uh, explain Bo Nix? I know you've probably been around teammates who've been hot and cold and trying to find that consistency. How do you explain uh, Bo Nix, and what do you see when he's out there leading the offense? Well, I think the number one thing that sticks out is his, is his competitive spirit. Um, obviously, he's an ultra-competitor. Um, we saw that. Um, you know, and coming from Georgia State, he had a little bit of adversity. I don't think he was expecting to be taken out of the game, but sometimes, you know, as players, we need that. You know, we need to, you know, one, I think, kind of be brought back to reality, but then, two, just understand that, hey, man, I have a job to do within this team, uh, within this system. And so, you know, I think that kind of helps you realign, you know, your thought process, but then it also gets those competitive juices flowing. And so I think that added a little bit of fuel to him. Um, so I think he's a, a great competitor. He does a really good job with that. Um, but I think at the same time, being a former player myself, you know, a huge part of that is understanding your strengths and weaknesses as an individual, um, you know, and so being able to play within that system, especially at the quarterback position, because, you know, I, I think the cooler heads prevail and you got to kind of be on an even keel. You know, you can be a competitor, but you want to make sure that you're always kind of stand within, you know, yourself and the parameters of the offense. And so, you know, with Bo, I think a lot of it is because of his competitive spirit. You know, I think a lot of times he gets excited. Um, 
you know, and he wants to make a play so bad. Um, and so just kind of getting him to understand, you know, at certain times, you know, it's okay to take a loss or to kind of throw the ball away. Um, you know, I think we saw in the LSU game he was able to get away with, a, you know, a few plays in terms of running around and creating some time with his legs, which he's athletic enough to do that. But at the same time, you don't want to get used to that being a habit, um, you know, where you can just step up in the pocket and, like I said, take some of those easy throws, hit the crossing route, hit the check down to kind of give yourself – some easy things to get that confidence going. Ronnie, so many fans will forever remember you and Cadillac and just how great uh, the running back room was, how great those teams were. Uh, obviously, Carnell Williams, the running backs coach at Auburn now. But what was that relationship like, and how special was it to not only be on a, on a great team and a great backfield, but be remembered with, you know, you yourself, Cadillac, individually two of the greatest running backs ever, but also one of the greatest duos ever? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it was a one. It was a, a respect factor there that he and I shared, but then two, it was that competitive um, uh, spirit. You know, I think it forced the both of us to be at our best. You know, because of the competition, and we challenged each other, we supported each other, and I think that was a huge part of it. Because in terms of you know bringing the best out of someone, whether it's in you know business or if it's in sports. You know, you have to demand their best, um, and Carnell did that for me, and I think I like to think that I did the same for him. Um, just knowing every day that I showed up, you know, I was going to bring my work pail um, because I knew I was going to get his best. And so, you know, in order to do that, I think we made each other better. And so when you do that, you challenge one another, um, you know, I think that brings the best out of you and being able to put yourself in a situation where, you know, the greatest version of yourself always comes out. You know, it's huge in terms of, you know, getting better, um, but then also just kind of making it easy on game day, you know, because we prepared, you know, probably harder than we played because once you went through practice, it was easier to do those things in the game um, if you were able to do them in practice. And so, you know, those things we made habitual. And so it helped us out tremendously, I think, just from, you know, being able to have each other. But then also outside of that, you know, we had a chance to talk to each other, you know, because of the similarities in terms of what we were um, experiencing as running backs, both two small-town kids, you know, playing SEC football. Um, and so there was things that, you know, he may be able to help me out with and vice versa if we were sitting on the sideline kind of telling each other what we see. Um, but it, it kind of made it easier for us, like I said, you know, when we were able to do that. Ronnie Brown, our guest here on 3 and Out. Ronnie, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. Ronnie Brown joining us here on 3 and Out as Auburn and Georgia coming up this weekend. As you said, what a, a, a dynamic team uh, they were. He and Cadillac Williams. You had Jason Campbell there at quarterback. I wanted to say, but Brandon Jacobs was back there with him for one year. Uh, I want to say in the backfield as well. So uh, it was loaded uh, there during his time at Auburn. And it's just incredible to hear Ronnie talk about the running back tradition, not only at Auburn, but at, but at Georgia as well. Said, hey, I grew up, you know, watching Garrison Hurst. And you think about Herschel. I mean, the names are amazing. And, and it's not just from a generation ago, but, but even last couple of years now. I mean, the running back standard at Auburn is unparalleled. The running back standard at Georgia is unparalleled. I mean, this game. Whoever wins should, should get to be running back you for that year. That should be the trophy. I mean, it's incredible. And I think I think there's a chance we see a close game on Saturday. You're going to have to see Auburn make some big plays, but maybe uh, those running backs can can break out and have a long touchdown run or two and, Kevin, make this one interesting. Yeah, again, uh, we've said this a, a number of weeks in a row. So-and-so could make it interesting, and then 
Well, Georgia makes it not interesting uh, at the end of the day. we got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. On this Wednesday, B.J. Bennett, I'm Kevin Thomas. Glad you're with us. Rivalries, man, what we saw last night in baseball was awesome. Uh, Yankees fans all mad because they were – uh, I heard this a number of times today. Well, if they weren't playing in uh, the Boston Fenway Park with that big green monster in the left field, uh, Giancarlo Stanton would have had two home runs. And no, hit off the wall. Sorry, win home field advantage, right? I mean, that's that, but but I love it that you get petty about it as much as the Red Sox have been petty about the Yankees over the years. Aaron Boone, Bucky Dent, all that, all that stuff. Man, I love the Yankees Red Sox pettiness about every little thing, and we got it last night. You think about the dynamic of playing in different ballparks. And, you know, I'll I'll hear on the surface, okay, that's a home run in this park or that park, but doesn't it kind of go both ways? Isn't the right field porch at Yankee Stadium really short? Maybe you have some home runs there that wouldn't be home runs in other ballparks. So I, I get it. I'm like you. I like the rivalry. I like the dislike. I appreciate that those organizations, those teams don't like each other. And it was great theater to have – the Yankees and the Red Sox play a one game in advance or losing your done playoff game. I mean, there's a sense of urgency and a kind of uh, drama to that. Regardless, it goes without saying, but when it's Boston in New York, it's magnified 10 times over. So I think these games are good for baseball. Now the losing, the losing team, the losing fans, I understand the frustration. I mean, if you're the Dodgers tonight and you lose and Wainwright throws a gym you just went for 100-plus wins, and you're going home after one playoff game. So I understand that frustration, and maybe that isn't fair when you look at the Braves have, what, 89 wins, whatever it is. They don't have over 100 wins. So I understand the frustration if you lose, but from the outside looking in, just as an observer, boy, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was last night, let me tell you. It was uh, one of those things where Yankees and Red Sox fans love to go at each other. I know ESPN put up there from from Stanton, oh, would have left 11 out of 30 ballparks. And as B.J. Bennett likes to point out, that means in most ballparks, it still wasn't a home run. Uh, Regardless, Yankees still lose, and the Red Sox move on. So you got a lot of that drama last night. You're going to get more uh, tonight. Two of the hottest teams in baseball the Dodgers and the Cardinals. The Cardinals won 19 of 22 games coming down the stretch, including 17 in a row, uh, BJ, uh, to get themselves in. Now they're playing a team with 106 wins, who I think's won nine in a row coming into uh, tonight's ball game. So uh, something's got to give tonight. But great theater, 106 win team could go home with just one game to play in the postseason. Hey, listen, I'm just glad, given the last couple of years, that these two teams are playing each other and the Braves aren't playing the Dodgers or the Braves aren't playing the Cardinals, okay? That's what I'm That's what I'm okay with. Just sit back and watch. But shout out to Adam Wainwright, uh, uh, Brunswick St. Simons native, went to Glen Academy and uh, 40 years old, 17-7 and seven, uh, on the season this year. I think an ERA right at three, over 175 strikeouts, one of the best of this generation to do it and already has a couple titles. Yeah, and again, Cardinals playing some great baseball right now. And again, it's the beauty of how your your leagues determine the playoffs. Right, I think the Braves have the fewest wins of any team in the playoffs in the National League, but 
they're in, and that's all that matters. They get ready to play Milwaukee uh, coming up on on Friday afternoon, early evening. You excited, BJ? Are you you pumped? Uh, yes, I am excited. I was looking at the clock. That's oh, yes. on me. That's my fault. I am very excited. Yes. I was th- I was just one like a one word take. We got it. We'll come back. We'll uh, have take three right around the corner. We'll have John Nelson joining us uh, next hour. We'll talk some high school football with him as well. This is three and out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. This Wednesday, Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben will be back with us tomorrow on the program. Glad you're making us a part of your day. We'll hear from John Nelson, GPB Sports, also author of the book Noble Strong Lessons in Destiny. We'll talk to him about that, some high school football, and more coming up here in hour number two. But first, let's take three here on Three and Out. All right. Which player from college football history lives in the nightmares of his rival school's fans? Uh, Christian saying, Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams, who we just had Ronnie Brown on, haunt his dreams. Who are some guys that are that are doing it to their rival schools? Well, I mean, a couple of guys come to mind. I mean, I, look, I, I I don't know if it's a rivalry before we get to the rivalry one, but I think Georgia, Alabama, Jalen Waddle, and Tua will always be there, obviously. But with a with a rivalry game, I think for Florida, it's got to be Lindsey Scott, right? I, I mean, Lindsey Scott, you're backed up by your own end zone. And you take it to the house, short pass, you go the distance, and not only do you beat Florida, you go on to win the national championship. And that might be the most famous call ever. And you could probably say for Georgia, maybe been true, because you go back to the two thousand I mean, you go back to that two thousand two game, Kevin. Georgia had one loss. They lost to Florida twenty to thirteen. Who caught the game-winning touchdown pass in the fourth quarter? Ben True. If Georgia wins that game, they're undefeated. They go to the national championship. They roll Notre Dame. And you're talking about a, a national championship for the dogs there in 2002 and what, Mark Rick's second year in Athens? Uh, a more recent one because Ben and I were talking about him yesterday. How about Kelvin Taylor? I mean, Kelvin Taylor, in a year where Florida beat Georgia, they threw for like nine yards. Kelvin Taylor went for 200 rushing yards and two touchdowns. He comes back here and goes for a buck 30 and two more touchdowns. So, but, but the all-time greatest one has to be Lindsey Scott. I mean, Lindsey Scott, Lindsey Scott, Lindsey Scott. So it's Lindsey Scott. Uh, Chris Davis has got to be one, I would imagine, for Alabama fans. If you never hear the name Chris Davis again, I mean, I guess those national championships kind of salved the wound, but I mean... If you never hear say, Chris you Davis, go over, man, and you look at the uh, what the eighteen championships, and go, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. But still, I would imagine uh, if you never heard the name Chris Davis again, that would probably be uh, be all right. All right, moving along. Take two. How significant have home crowds been this season? Again, a lot of teams had nobody uh, last year or limited capacity. Kirby Smart saying this week, this will be the first time that more than half of his roster will have played in front of a full capacity away stadium. You remember last. Uh, this year, they played at a neutral site, kind of full capacity, Clemson-Georgia Stadium, not really a true away game. They've only been to Vanderbilt. That doesn't really count. And now you go to Auburn for the first kind of big, true, hostile road game, and you played in front of very, very reduced crowds a season ago. So, uh, yeah, we, we wonder about that. Alabama, we saw them go to Florida in the Swamp, kind of struggle a little bit after getting a big lead. And I've asked that this week, how much of a factor could it be to have 90,000-plus screaming in Jordan-Hare against the Bulldogs on Saturday. 
Well, I think especially when you have a young team, maybe a young quarterback, it's a big deal because not only does it limit your ability to communicate, right? I mean, a lot of changes at the line, calls at the line when you're at home are easy to make. You just lean over and yell out what you're doing and you can make the change and you have to go, you know, with the silent stuff when you're on the road and and it can be a little more difficult. Uh, We've seen the crowd influence in terms of penalties. I think you go back to the... uh, the uh, Penn State game against Auburn, a couple of penalties there where you had false starts because of the crowd noise. I think you saw that in the Kentucky-Florida game as well, Saturday night in Lexington. But I think the energy uh, really helps the home team. I mean, Kevin, we've seen some just just really remarkable atmospheres. I think about on Saturday night in Lexington, Kentucky against Florida. You think about Penn State against Auburn. You think about going back to week one even. You think about Florida State-Notre Dame. You think about uh, Virginia Tech, North Carolina. I thought I, I thought those were situations where the home crowd did sort of lift up the home team. I mean, Florida State probably played above themselves in that game. Virginia Tech beat North Carolina. Kentucky beat Florida. Penn State beat Auburn. So I think we've seen instances where if the same game was played uh, neutral site or certainly in a road venue for the team that was at home, maybe there'd be a different result. I mean, we see that in college football very regularly. What do they, what do they normally say, Kevin, that home field advantage is worth three or four points on the line? So that's a big deal. And yeah, Kirby Smart making that point. You haven't really thought about that. Now, there will be a lot of Georgia fans in Jordan Hare. I mean, you always have a lot of road fans uh, in this rivalry, but that will be a relatively new challenge, especially for the younger Georgia players. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I, again, we knew fans mattered uh, on some level. And again, you would say, oh, it doesn't matter. I just watched the game. I'm sorry. If you watched baseball last year compared to what you saw last night, there's no comparison. If you watched college football last year compared to what you saw, you said, at Happy Valley, compared to what you've seen uh, at Georgia last week, compared to what you see at Virginia Tech on opening I mean, there, there is no comparison. The fans do make the atmosphere a whole lot better, and it helps the home team. I really believe that, uh, BJ, as you said, especially when things are going uh, well or things are in the balance uh, can certainly play a, a big factor in that. And, again, I think it will be somewhat of a factor on Saturday with uh, – with Auburn and Georgia, but obviously a lot of things have to go in Auburn's favor for them to uh, to come out on the good side for them. Georgia's playing really, really well, uh, and a lot of things going good and going on the good side for Georgia. Uh, on this date in 2001, this is take three, Larry Munson. So this is 20 years ago already. The hobnail boot call. Uh, Veron Haynes there at uh, Tennessee. What is the greatest college football radio call of all time? And I think we've mentioned a couple of them. But with that call, Kevin, I remember hearing it, and I was like, wow, this is dramatic. But I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what he's talking about. It's one of the most famous calls. Uh, but, yeah, I've have, have seen that shared on social media. But I, I think two calls that we indirectly referenced or, or directly referenced earlier, uh, Lindsey Scott, just because of the way it unfolded with Larry Munson, where you have kind of the crossing route or the drag route, catches the ball, makes a couple of guys miss, and then he's up the sidelines. And... Larry Munson's kind of stunned and he's he's giving you his perspective in in real time and his shock and surprise and elation is coming through the radio, right? Where you hear, Lindsey Scott, oh my God. And then it's, you know, they're gonna be on Jekyll Island and he didn't he didn't he break his chair? I, you know, I, I broke my chair and just 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 hearing all of the uh hearing all of the emotion and the enthusiasm 
was what made that so special is that that was an excitement. That was a just a, a moment of impossibility that Larry Munson magically resonated with everybody. And it's almost like you could see it happening no matter where you were. And that's the beauty of a great call like that. And then uh, the, the, the Chris Davis, Chris Davis, because the late Rod Bramblett, that was that was uh, a Kevin a play that we've never really seen anything like. I, I, I mean, the kick sticks was something that I didn't really even know was possible, right? And then to happen on that stage in that game, you have much like with the Munson call, you have just the unfathomable, almost. Un- unrealistic play you're just raw emotion just this is happening this is happening chris davis chris davis and that was such a perfect description of what it was because it literally was this one guy just running away from everybody down the sidelines into history so uh love love guys who uh you know have those calls i think there's something special and, and kevin you do a great job with your calls there's something special about being able to bring somebody who's not there with you right there into that scene. And both with Lindsey Scott and with Chris Davis, it was just pandemonium. And I think the beauty of both of those calls is, yes, you got the description of what was happening, but you also felt the chaos. You felt the improbability of the moment. And I think that's what made those makes those two calls stand out to me. Yeah, again, I think that, and I don't, I'm trying to think if this was a radio call that's been synced up to the video, but the uh, the Cal-Stanford game where the band is, like, on the field, and he's like, oh, my God, the band is on the field, and, it, and they just run around. I mean, that's one of the more unlikely things. It's like, how how much would that be today of, all right, shouldn't that be a penalty uh, on the home team because the, the band is on the field? Like, I'm sure there'd be a whole lot of stuff going into that now where it just wouldn't be like, Okay, the band's out there, and they, they scored a touchdown, now the game's over. I mean, that was tr- truly unbelievable. And again, you hear the call of, oh, my, the band is on the field. And uh, everyone thought that was over. That's one of my uh, one of my favorites. But you're right, Chris Davis. Chris Davis, oh, my goodness, so, you know, Auburn's going to win the football game. That is a good one. Uh, the the Lindsey Scott, uh, because, again, that's just raw emotion of, I can't believe this just happened uh, right in front of you uh, there in, in college football. That's take three. We do it each and every day. I've got a fun exercise for B.J. Bennett when we come back. I think you'll enjoy it as well. But something different, given the slate of college football games coming up this weekend. And we'll get to it next here on 3 and Out. Just a little bit, uh, GPB Sports, and also the author of Noble Strong, Lessons in Destiny. We'll talk to him about that book as well. But B.J., quick exercise here with the slate of games in college football, are you ready? We're going to play better football game or basketball game with this okay. week's college football matchup. So I will read you a matchup. You will tell me if it's better on the gridiron or the hardwood. Wisconsin at Illinois. I mean, dude, that's got to be basketball. Listen, that's going to be low-scoring football or basketball. But I think you're talking about the possibility. Listen, I think you're talking about the possibility for a team on the basketball court to make a deep run in 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 this one. Football, I don't know. So I will go basketball, although low scoring all the way around. Okay, honest take. More points combined scored in the football game or by the winner of the basketball game? That's a good question. That's a good. I think 
I think one or two points in favor of the winner of the basketball game. I mean, it that could be like a 37 to 40 basketball game uh, at the end of the day. Wake Forest at Syracuse. Hey, Syracuse is going to be really good in basketball this year, but I, I think football, Wake Forest is undefeated. They're a top 20 team. Sam Hartman putting up huge numbers. Wake Forest has one of the best offenses in the country, and we're talking about all these playoff teams. Are we three or four games away, maybe, if Wake Forest stays hot from talking about Wake Forest? Wake Forest as a college football playoff contender. Well, look, well, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Now, listen, Syracuse has been better. A couple of weeks ago, Syracuse beat Liberty. That was a really impressive win. Sean Tucker, their running back, one of the best running backs in the country. I know Syracuse lost the game late to Florida State. Still have a winning record, though. That will be a pretty good football game. Uh, that will be this weekend. I'm looking forward to that one. No, it's definitely better football because I think Wake Forest is not great in basketball recently. So uh, I know Syracuse It's kind of a wash on the one team is good and one team is not great, but I think better football game for my money. Georgia Tech at Duke. Better football game or basketball game? Hold on a second. Are you talking about the defending ACC champion Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets who won the ACC tournament? I think you have to go with this basketball, not only because of Duke. I know Duke's got another, you know, recruiting class with five five stars coming in, and they're all going to be drafted in the first round. But listen. Isn't this the Coach K farewell tour as well? Yes. Yes, that's true. I didn't think about that. That's also a fair point. But I think that Georgia Tech, defending ACC champs, we've seen them in the tournament. They're going to be a better team, I think, throughout the regular season this year. So that on the hardwood, yes, I'll go basketball. All right. West Virginia at Baylor. Better that's football a fun basketball, or basketball game. No, no, no. That, that's a good basketball game. I mean, you're talking about Baylor defending national champs. I know they have to replace a lot, including Davion Mitchell, but still a lot of returning talent. Uh, I think West Virginia is one of those teams where you pretty much see them in the second round or the Sweet 16 every year. I think that'll be a high-scoring game. You know, Big Ten basketball, like you said, it's 42 to 41. Big 12 basketball, it's 92 to 91. So I will go with uh, West Virginia and Baylor, the defending champs there in basketball. Okay. I I think it could be better football, uh, quite honestly. I will go football in that one. South Carolina at Tennessee, better football or better basketball? Football. Football. Look, this is going to be a good football game. Let's not pretend that Tennessee didn't just score 62 points and rush for over 400 yards. This is a new Tennessee. This Tennessee is looking down the line saying, I see you, Georgia. I'm just saying, with this offense, you got Hendon Hooker, one of the most proficient quarterbacks in the country. The matchup of Tennessee's offense with a couple of running backs who are capable against a very good South Carolina defense. Now, South Carolina offensively, still a work in progress. But I think the matchup of Tennessee's offense with Hendon Hooker at quarterback, South Carolina's defense, that defensive line, I think that's going to be a fun football game. I don't know. That could be a pretty intriguing basketball game, but I'm with you. Better football game for that. We're doing better football game, better basketball game with this week's college football games uh, that are out there. LSU at Kentucky. Better football game or better basketball game? That's a that's a close one. I could go either way, because of, but because of the way Kentucky is playing right now, 5-0 and in the national top 15. That was an incredible atmosphere in Lexington last week. You have another night game at Commonwealth Stadium on Saturday. If they win this game, depending upon what happens in front of them, could Kentucky be moving towards the top 10? And I know we're looking ahead to Kentucky and Georgia, but you got to get past LSU first. LSU is not being great. 
Derek Stingley injured, going to be out for a while, but they still have one of the top pass-catch tandems in the country, Max Johnson, Kayshawn Boutte. Uh, I think this is going to be another fun game, another close game. LSU needs this for Ed Orgeron. If LSU loses this game, what does that mean for Coach O? But this is all about Kentucky. One of the stories of the year in college football, looking to move to 6-0, and fresh off their first win at home over Florida since, what, 1986? This is going to be fun Saturday night. I would say you get the way Kentucky has played basketball the last year or two. I would have normally leaned basketball, but I think this is better football game, Kentucky and LSU. Alabama at Texas A&M. I'm surprised we're even asking the question on this one, given where we thought this was going to be the uh, the first part of the year, but maybe it's changed. Better football or better basketball game, Alabama and Texas A&M? Basketball. Basketball. Yes. No, it's not even close. This is going to be a, this is going to be a 27 point win uh, at a minimum for Alabama. Alabama's going to win this game easy. I mean, look at what they've done to everybody else. Basketball, Alabama's on the rise. I get that. Very good program. But I think there's at least a chance for a competitive game in basketball. Now, if Texas A&M can rise up, you know, rebound, they have not looked great recently and play Alabama close. I will be the first one to come in here on Monday and say incredible effort, incredible effort. But the way I'm looking at it right now, with the way Bama's been playing and the way Texas A&M has been playing, this is not going to be close on the football field. Basketball, anything goes. So I'm going to say basketball because you have a better chance for a competitive game between the Tide and the Aggies. Wow. I, I'll, I'll still go with basketball. I mean, I'll still go with football in this one. I I, I think okay, this no, could no, be – Okay, no, no, Kevin, hold on a second. Oh, whoa, whoa. What, what do you expect the final score to be And don't lie? <laughs> uh, I would say – Maybe something similar to what we saw with Ole Miss and Alabama last week, though it not be 35 to nothing, and then you kind of tack some on late. I, I, I still think it could be more interesting than Bama A&M basketball. No? I'm no. just saying, you see, now you're talking yourself into it. So Matt Corral and Ole Miss, Heisman <laughs> candidate Matt Corral and Ole Miss only scored a couple of times in the first three quarters, or what? Barely at all. Do you think Texas A&M with a freshman quarterback having lost a couple of games in a row, they're going to make it closer against Alabama uh, than Ole Missy? That's what you're saying? I'm saying it could be more interesting. <laughs> Better. Hey, man, I want to see I want to see the basketball game. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. That's fine. All right, one more. Florida State at North Carolina. Better football game or better basketball game? Not even close again. It's basketball. And these look, these two programs have been great have been great. Uh, North Carolina, of course, forever, but Florida State over the last decade in the ACC, uh, you're talking about two teams that are probably capable of an Elite Eight or Final Four run. Yes, I've started to look ahead to some of the ACC basketball projections. Big ACC basketball fan. And the top of the conference, you have have Duke there, but you also have North Carolina and Florida State. And I... (laughs) Florida State beat North Carolina in Tallahassee last season. I, I, I get that. But I think Florida State got their win, got the win over Syracuse. But I think to ask for two in a row against North Carolina, Sam Howell, uh, the way they've been putting up points offensively, I think that's a big ask for a team that's rebuilding. Uh, so I think basketball, this is about as big as it gets. Basketball, this is must-see TV. Football, I think you can switch back and forth. And if it's close, you stay with it. I know later in the week we'll get to our – TV guide. If it's close, you stay with it. But this is a great basketball game. 
Yeah, it really is a better basketball game. And that's saying something if you're the ACC that this is a better basketball game. I know North Carolina, the brand, but North Carolina this year, supposed to be a top 10, top 15 type football team. Florida State, one of your name programs, is definitely basketball right now in, uh, in Florida State and North Carolina's case. So a little fun exercise there. Better football or better basketball from some of the actual games coming up uh, this weekend. Kevin Thomas, B.J. Bennett here with you on this Wednesday. Glad you're making us a part of your day. Our next guest uh, is just uh, a man of the people all across the state of Georgia, GPB Sports. <laughs> I mean, you are, you're, you're everywhere, John Nelson, as uh, he joins us here on 3 and Out. Afternoon, gentlemen. What's going on? Oh, we are just uh, waiting to, to chat with you. And it's hard to believe that here on a Wednesday, I just uh, depressed myself a little bit during the break where I was like, wait a minute. We now have less regular season high school football than we have more regular season high school football in a lot of cases. Why Why you want to play like that, Kevin? <laughs> Come it's, on now. It's my sad nature, I guess. I don't know. I know, I know some teams are... are you know, up to seven games and they have an off week and then they get their three-week sprint, see uh, region 17A and things like that. But just enjoy the experience for what it is. We're still talking about it. It's still there. We've got plot lines. We have anticipation. We've got games that mean everything. Almost everybody's in region play. So just let's enjoy it for what it is before we sit there and we go, holy crap, it's December already. <laughs> Kevin's, Kevin's just ready for playoff football already, dude. Pace yourself because you know, you got to keep you got to keep the the pipes and the energy level all nice and even keeled. You can't just sit there and go, ah, oh, playoff football. Ah! <laughs> but then you then you don't have a voice, and then you know when you want to call me back to come on the show, then so we're here with John. What's going on, John? No, it's pacing, my friend, pacing. <laughs> Apparently, I don't know how to do that. At the uh, at the end of the day, I got to work on it. I apologize, but uh, John, we again, we're we're getting down to the the last part of the season, the region play, as you call it, the second season for a number of these teams. What have we learned about uh, some teams here in the state of Georgia? Been some wild wild things happening uh, all throughout the state, but is this where we really find out who's a contender and and maybe who just uh, feasted on some non region schedules? Yeah, and I think that's that's what this second season's all about. You know, I, I was about to now. Do, is it a dollar in the jar if I use a cliche? What, what's the what's the payment plan for here? for you? It's ten dollars uh, in the jar for every cliche. Okay, so so <laughs> if I was to say this is when the rubber meets the road, that that's a ten dollar deposit. Yes, yes. Okay, I'll give but, you that uh, one for uh, free. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, the first one's free. The second one's ten bucks. There I you see go. How this plays. But no, I think that when you're a team that wants to challenge yourself, like we're seeing with uh, a Warner Robins, who then, you know, in a game that was 21-7, then was 21-21, and then all of a sudden ends up 77-34, that to me was one of the more amazing results last weekend. The last time I saw anybody with a pair of sevens was at a blackjack table, and they were trying to figure out whether or not they wanted to hit or stay on 14. <laughs> Man, I mean, Warner Robins, I, I, you know, Warner Robins plays in Camden County the way that they did. And I know that for, for Jeff Heron and everybody down in Kingsland, there's an adjustment period, you know, trying to get back to where you want to be when it comes to Region 17A. And 
you know, it's this is where you learn about yourself in non-region play. You know, where County learning about themselves in non-region play. And now they're getting ready to get into region play in region 15A and one of the toughest regions in the state. And you've got Warner Robins, Ware and Coffee right now. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if all three of them were at the very least in the final eight and five A, if not in the final four. It wouldn't surprise me if all four of if uh, those three made a push to be in the final four and five A. You know, and then you see what we're seeing with Brunswick. Uh, Brunswick winning the city championship. Has anybody seen Sean Pender with the belt recently? Have we seen a picture of him with the belt? <laughs> Looks good. You know, hoist. You know, after he got the bath and the. I mean, how how cool is it? that you have a sophomore kicker come in in overtime and get the game-winning field goal in the city championship. I mean, that's one of those moments that's going to last forever when it comes to this rivalry. And for it to happen to someone who is 16 years old, a sophomore kicker, I mean, that to me speaks volumes. And then you go you go up the freeway a little bit more and you're looking at Calvary Day and in single a private you're looking at benedictine and what they're going through with their non-region schedule uh, i think the only team that danny Britt didn't schedule in non-region play was uh, nassau high out of the bahamas <laughs> and i mean it, it's but i give danny trip. credit he's got one of the best rolodexes i've ever heard of i mean because i remember remember last year when he lost all the the games in a hurry it was like 30 minutes later he had them all figured out but i mean there are a lot of teams right now that I think have challenged themselves. And the one thing that, once again, this is the biggest thing that I will always tell folks as you're leaving non-region play and heading into region play, if the number to the right of the dash is bigger or the same as the number to the left of the dash, don't freak out. Because season one gets you ready for where we are in season two. You learn a lot about yourselves. And when you have many regions, 17A, 15A, and, you know, in Savannah, You've got to be a little more imaginative when it comes to your scheduling. I mean, you guys did the game from the bird dog capital of the world, Waynesboro, Georgia, <laughs> on a Thursday night. So Benedictine could play Burke I mean, on a reschedule. So, I mean, you have to be imaginative in these situations. And I think we're seeing how these guys will gauge themselves in their programs as we get into the second half of the season where Kevin is already talking about playoff football. <laughs> he is, he is. And you talk about region play, John, and obviously the direct postseason implications. Uh, you know, you cover the, 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 the state playoffs every year. How big of a difference might there be in one game that results in a two seed versus a three seed and the home field advantage that comes with that, the track that follows that? I mean, it might be a field goal. It might be a game that comes down to the end. But how big of a jump is there or a difference, I should say, in maybe being that two seed versus being that three seed or a four coming out of your region? What are you, what are you reading my notes for my open on Friday night, BJ? I did Well, no, I'm just listening to PJ Zuko more. Well, I mean, the game that we're doing on Friday night, Subtle Plug Football Fridays in Georgia on your favorite Georgia Public Broadcasting affiliate is uh, Roswell at Cherokee. And right now it looks like in the same region that they're in, as an example, you've got Milton, who's a top four, top five team in 7A, and Roswell and Cherokee are in that game that you are speaking of, sir. They are in that 2-3. And it's the difference of, Playing a North Cobb, say, and this is using last year's numbers, playing a North Cobb team in the second round 
at North, you know, at home or going to North Gwinnett and having to play them there in their place at Tom Robinson Memorial. This is what you're getting into. This is where math gets involved. And no one said there would be math on this show. That's a rule, as a matter of fact. We're not allowed to do math on this show But, but that's all. the thing. It's like this is where in the next handful of weeks we have to get all of our tiebreakers known with all of the regions Is because you're going to have five teams chasing for four spots. You're going to have six for four. You're going to have folks chasing for twos and threes like we are this week, available at GPB, GPB TV, GPB.org on Twitter and on the GPB Sports app available iOS and Android. But you're going to have a lot of these situations where you're going to need to know if it's a three-way dance after you get past the first head-to-head tiebreaker, is it points against common opponents? Is it point differential in these kinds of things to get into those twos and threes and to avoid having to play that second round game on the road? I mean, there's I can off the top of my head, I can think of at least four different regions where you're probably going to have five for four spots and really chasing after that two and three. And one of them was the game that we had last week with uh, Carrollton and South Paulding. And right now that's going to be five for four. And you've got two teams already with one loss in region playing only one team undefeated. And that's Douglas County. John Nelson joining us here on three and out. John did want to ask you, I understand you had uh, some more copies of your book, just hot off the press there of uh, noble strong. And I know you tell stories. Oh, he's going to go get a copy of it right now. Uh, tell stories all across. There you go. Noble strong lessons in destiny. As you tell stories all across uh, the state of Georgia around high school athletics, uh, for those who are not familiar with that book, uh, speak to uh, to that story and, and one that obviously was not a fun one to write, but but maybe it was an inspirational story uh, to, to write and to tell. Yeah, for those that uh, may not necessarily spend a whole lot of time in single-A football, I know that uh, part of the footprint for you involves uh, Charlton County and Clinch and they are in what I refer to as one of the regions of doom when it comes to Georgia high school football. Back in the 2019 season, during the summer leading into the year, uh, Buddy Nobles, the head coach at Irwin County, was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And the book in and of itself is a recapping of that season, what the family was going through, what the extended family meaning those who were fans of Irwin County were going through as this team that was one of the most stout in recent memory when it comes to single A football was chasing after a state championship. And Irwin County, for those that know single A football, they're always, you know, going up against clinch and one team would win in regular season, you know, may win again in the playoffs. It would be different and clinch would always be the one that would come out on top, especially if they played in championship games. So, It was just a recapping of the season because as I was there covering the story and covering the story of someone who I loved very much and is a a great and dear friend, and I will continue to use that in a present tense, I thought it was a story that needed to be told and preserved. And I give the family a lot of credit for being as open and as honest as they were about it. And all of the coaches that played against Irwin County were as open and as honest as they were about what it was like seeing, you know, Buddy Nobles and being this example, not just as a coach, but as a man to his team and the student athletes that were there who grew up far too quickly in this situation. And honestly, as the season was going on, 
my sports director at Georgia Public Broadcasting would always ask, you know, he was like, okay, what story do you want to do this week? You know, I take a video camera and you go out and you do a story and it shows at halftime. And I would say, I want to go to Osceola because it was an excuse to catch up with my friend. And it was a story that everybody was interested in. And so I got to do things twofold and to be able to share the stage with him to present the trophy to him was one of the coolest things that I've ever done to be able to share that moment with someone that you love very much, uh, peeling the curtain back a little bit, Wiley Ballard, who was doing sideline for us in that game, as we're leaving the trophy presentation, I had to get back to work. He goes, man, that had to be one of the hardest interviews that you had to do. I, I told him, I said, honestly, it was one of the easiest because when you get to be there with someone that you love very much and to be able to share a moment with them and their family, it's one of the easiest ones that I got to do. So for me, it was a, a labor of love. It was a, a greater message. And it was a story that needed to be preserved and uh, came out to be 356 pages by the time it was done. Wow. John, what did you what did you learn uh, working on the project just about the power of people and, you know, the human spirit, the power of the human spirit? You know, I, just just watching you talk, you know, the emotion, you can you can feel it. And it's um, it's 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 powerful. But what was it like for you to learn more about just what people mean to each other through working on this? Well, and, you know, guys, when we go and cover high school football and we go into the individual towns, you know, you go to Waycross, you go to Darien, you, you go up to Savannah, each community with their fans, we know what it means to them. And to be able to see it and to have that feeling reinforced to me, where an entire community, and really it was the twin cities of Fitzgerald and Osceola, because the Nobles family lived there and they'd coached there at one point before they went 10 miles south. To see regions wrap themselves around this family and wrap themselves around Irwin County. It just reminded you about what's good, whether it's good about high school athletics, high school football, about towns themselves, and how in a time of need for a family that you loved and cared for, you'd bring food by to where the family had to buy a second refrigerator and a second freezer because everybody's bringing food by just so they don't have to worry about those kinds of things. And so to be able to be reminded about what's good about us is something that's always going to stick with me, BJ. And I know that when you write books, it's, it's a labor of love to put all of these ideas into one place as well to make sure that it's preserved. So all of the stories that we chase are never forgotten. John Nelson joining us here on three. Now, where can folks uh, get the book, uh, John, if they're interested? Obviously, it's uh, it's about more than football, but football is kind of the centerpiece of it. But where can folks find that book? Easiest place is on Amazon, uh, Amazon.com. And you can do a Nobles Strong search. And yes, I just used air quotes. You could do Noble Strong or Noble Strong John Nelson, J-O-N John, if you want to do the author search that way. Uh, you can get it in the paper form, you can get it electronic form, you can get it for your Kindle, you can get it as an iBook. I'm working on the audio version that should be out probably around Christmas time. So there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But Amazon is the easiest place to get it. Unless you DM me on Facebook. <laughs> and I have I have some copies here. So if you want to bypass the idea of getting the book from Amazon, and reach out to me and I can actually sign it for you. You can handle it that way, too. So just DM me on Facebook, John Freeman Nelson, because 
There are about 8,000 John Nelsons. I put my middle name in there just to be different. So just reach out to me that way at OSG Nelson on Twitter. DM me and we'll figure it out. I've got about a dozen copies here in Office HD. So act fast. (laughs) John Nelson joining us here. John, always a pleasure. And uh, we will certainly talk to you soon. Thank you much, sir. Be well, my friends. Appreciate it. John Nelson joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, glad to have you along here on the show. A lot more to come here on 3 and Out. Can Auburn run the ball against the University of Georgia? Nobody else has really been able to do it. Will Auburn be a team? Uh, that's able to do it. BJ and I will break that down coming up a little bit uh, later on the show. And again, appreciate John Nelson uh, joining us here on the program. Pick up that book, uh, Noble Strong Lessons in Destiny. Great read there from uh, from John Nelson. Appreciate him coming on the show and talking about that. And now uh, we got a little baseball tonight uh, as well, BJ, with a one-game elimination uh, for the Red Sox or Red Sox-Yankees last night, Cardinals and Dodgers. And if Dodgers lose tonight... Wow. Talk about one of the all-time disappointments. 106 wins could be gone in one game, and Adam Wainwright gets to start tonight for St. Louis. Well, you are a baseball historian, Kevin, so I want to get your perspective on this. I mean, to me, this is one of the better starting pitching matchups that that I can remember, one I'm looking forward to in terms of guys who have accomplished so much on their resume. You know, Adam Wainwright, 40 years old, I think, Max Scherzer's in his in his late 30s. You're talking about guys that have multiple All Stars, uh, um, championships on both sides. I mean, this is about as good as it gets from a pitching matchup standpoint. And Adam Wainwright, throughout his career, has been incredible in the postseason. I mean, absolutely dominant in the postseason, and he has the the rings to prove it. Uh, but I, I I expect him to be to be to be sharp. I mean, he's he's earned that benefit of the doubt clearly, and the breaking ball, the curve ball is still as good as ever. Uh, Adam is a guy that that knows what it takes to win in this spotlight on this stage, has the credentials to prove it. And that lineup's tough. I mean, L.A., you're going to have to earn every out. But I know really looking forward, I know everybody in Coastal Georgia really looking forward to uh, seeing Adam again on that postseason stage. And even against the Dodgers, uh, going up against Scherzer, I expect him to be to be really good. That's what makes him special, right? He's a big game pitcher, big moment pitcher, and this would be yet another one if he could go out, just another check in the box, if he can go out and get another win in the postseason tonight. Certainly, and again, I think you look at uh, the game tonight in terms of a historical pitching matchup. Uh, sometimes you get these in the postseason, you see like the the, the John Smoltz-Jack Morris uh, matchup that, uh, that was such a great uh, baseball game. I think tonight you're talking about two guys – uh, who are bound to be in the Hall of Fame uh, when it's all said and done. I know Adam probably wish, hey, could he have a Cy Young? Probably should have one, but he's got World Series titles, done it as a, a closer and a starter. Uh, back in the postseason here again, great numbers. And certainly I think Max Scherzer, when it's all said and done, is going to find himself at Cooperstown. So you're talking about a really special winner-go-home type matchup tonight between two really all-time great pitchers in Major League Baseball. Well said. It's baseball history. It's baseball history, and I agree with you about Adam. You're talking about one of the more, one of the most dominant, outstanding pitchers of this era. Regular season, postseason, starting pitching, relief pitching has done it all, and just another postseason spotlight for him that he has absolutely earned. But you mentioned it, Kevin. 
Cardinals are always tricky in the postseason. They're always, uh, you know, better than their record even indicates. If they beat L.A. tonight, can you imagine, a, what, what, 105 or six wins, whatever it is, and you go home after one game in the postseason, that is drama tonight, folks. Uh, certainly. Hey, we've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll talk college football uh, coming up in the final hour. Can Auburn run the ball against Georgia when nobody else has? Auburn also with a pretty good run game. But nobody else has been able to crack that code. Can the Auburn Tigers do it? We'll break that down with BJ coming up in the final hour of the show. This is 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. Good to have you along here on 3 and Out, final hour of three and out a lot to get to here on the show if you missed our conversation with ronnie brown we'll have that for you coming up in just a little bit also can auburn run the football against georgia nobody else has really been able to do it is auburn going to be any different we'll get to that coming up here in just a little bit but you look at this georgia auburn series bj the deep south's oldest rivalry we look at some of the top games from the series. Let's do the top five games we can come up with here from the Georgia-Auburn series. There's been a lot of good ones, and it's kind of ironic when you talk, talk about the memorable ones, they all seem to be in Jordan-Hare for some reason. That's where it gets weird, uh, right? I mean, this, this this series has so many memorable matchups, so many memorable games, and the vast majority of the ones that are quirky do happen in Jordan-Hare. And I think for everybody, the first reference you have, right, is the prayer at Jordan-Hare. And I know there are a couple that come to mind. You go back to fourth down and forever with uh, David Green, but the prayer at Jordan-Hare was such a crazy finish in the same season, mind you, where you had – Now, the kick six right after that, but uh, Nick Marshall, obviously, who was a former defensive back for the Bulldogs, threw a pass tipped by Josh Harvey Clemens, caught by Ricardo Lewis, and you scored a game-winning touchdown with 25 seconds. So I think when you think about crazy moments, that's one that stands out to me. Uh, I think the 2017 kind of symmetry uh, definitely stands out when you think about a regular season matchup where Georgia was number one in the country and lost that game on the road by a considerable margin. I'm trying to get the yeah 40, yeah, 40 to 17. Yeah, 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 40 to 17. And you think, okay, that's going to be a game that stands out and maybe prevents us from reaching our goals. And then you have a chance to avenge Auburn, who was then number two in the country in the SEC championship game, and you win that one 28 to seven. So in a year where you had two top ten matchups, not one of them were close. And I think that's. Uh, something that stands out about the history of this series, the David Green play uh, to to Michael Johnson was one of the more improbable finishes that we've seen. That was a three-point win uh, for Georgia, and Georgia went on to win the SEC championship. And what, I'm trying to fourth and 15, uh, fourth and 15, not quite goal to go, but fourth and 15 from the 19, and you basically throw it up. I mean, that might have been the original prayer at Jordan-Hare. You throw that one up, and you come down with it, Michael Johnson making a play where he'll forever be one of the iconic names in Georgia history. You win that one. And then in 96, the one where you had uh, Georgia trailing 28-7 to at halftime, your rally. Mike Bobo, of course, putting up huge numbers. Four overtimes, 56-49. to Georgia wins that one. And that, you know, the famous picture where you have uh, Ugga kind of jumping out towards an Auburn player. That was in that game. But, yeah, this one always gets weird. 
always gets interesting. And here's what and here's what's kind of crazy about the Deep South's oldest rivalry is when you think it's going to be close, it's not. When you don't think it's going to be close, it is. And that's why I wonder kind of what the what the consensus is from Bulldog Nation ahead of Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I had one that uh, you didn't mention, uh, 1992, 14-10 ball game, uh, Georgia over Auburn. Auburn driving down the field in the late stages of the ball game on the two-yard line, going in to score. They fumble the football. They get it back. And in the scrum, you see Ray Goff telling everybody, lay down on the ground because there's no timeouts. Clock is running. And in the, the delay of getting up and spotting the ball, the clock runs out. So Auburn's literally there on the goal line trying to drive in to score, and the clock runs out uh, off of a fumble, and everybody kind of standing around going, what's happening? And Georgia comes out with a big win there, and I know that was one that was uh, contentious uh, for a while, but that is a very close Georgia-Auburn game that you had. And this was one that was up until maybe a year or two ago was even, and I think even the points scored – by each team was within two points of each other or something ridiculous like that. And what's especially crazy about, about that. And, and, and you're right. The, the, the total points were either right there or one or two off is this hasn't been a series over the last decade where you've had consistent close games. You've had a couple of lopsided wins in, in, in George's favor. Uh, I, I remember going to a game in the early two thousands in Athens, big win in George's favor. So I think if you're Auburn, you've been on the wrong side of this rivalry. You've lost seven of eight in the series, and the only win you had in that stretch, Georgia came back and avenged in a year where they went to the national championship game. So it's been, I think, a series dominated by Georgia in recent years. But looking ahead to Saturday, it's it's hard to get to gauge kind of a historical context because this rivalry has always gone in an opposite direction than what you expect. You think it's going to be close, it's a blowout. You think it's going to be a blowout, it's close. And there's something telling me, Kevin, that maybe Saturday's a little closer than we think because you're talking about playing on the Plains. Georgia's been rolling. Could Auburn get them in a game where it's back and forth and suddenly you look up and now it's late third quarter, early fourth quarter, and it's a one-score game. But I'll go back to this question we've addressed all week. How does Auburn score? And that's why you, we both talking about some of the all-time great plays, mentioned special teams, mentioned tip passes, mentioned defensive plays. I think this might be a Saturday where if Georgia is tested, it's not necessarily because Auburn lines up and beats them up and down the field and has long drives and forces three and outs. It might be one where there's a couple of, couple of turnovers. You know, uh, early 2000s, Trey Battle had three interceptions in one game in this series. This might be a game where maybe for Auburn you have to have an Israel Mukwamu type performance where you get a couple of interceptions, a big return, a block. Uh, and Auburn's certainly capable of that, but I think it's going to take a unique sort of non-traditional big play to make this one be close late, if that makes sense. No, it certainly does. And, again, I think Auburn's fighting uphill battle. Georgia coming in with everybody we've talked to. Look, they're a confident football team, and as they should be. Uh, coming in uh, to Auburn, I don't think they'll be intimidated. I do think the one interesting factor in this would be the true road game uh, that Georgia has not played this year. And even Kirby Smart said, look, I had a lot of small attendance last year. Half the roster, recruits, freshmen, some of these guys that came in, I haven't played in a full stadium in a hot hot minute uh, just because of COVID from a year ago and uh, the way things uh, shaped up. Now they've had one kind of full stadium experience at a neutral site. Vanderbilt, eh, 
and they've been at home for the, the rest of the season and are going to get the, uh, the full road effect this week, obviously, at Auburn. And how do they handle that, especially with some questions at quarterback? Is JT Daniels going to be able to go with Stetson Bennett? Feeling a little uh, banged up going into this game. So I think defensively you feel great about this team. Offensively it's just do you do enough to win the football game? And, I, and sometimes you say, well, that's overly simplistic. But I think with this Georgia team, that, that's all it is. Do you do enough to win the game? Because the way this defense is going, 14, 17 points a lot of weeks might be enough out of you offensively to get, get it done and get it done in a big way. And I think regardless of who the quarterback is, you'll see Georgia run the football and do that for a couple of reasons. One, it's a continuation from last week where you were very productive. Two, it allows you to control kind of the ebb and flow of the game on the road. And that's all always important. And I think forgiveness of what Auburn wants to do, and that's attack the offensive backfield. So maybe you see uh, uh, a game from Zamir White that's similar to what Nick Chubb did or no Sean Marino's done in this series. So I expect Georgia to establish the line of scrimmage, run the football, and I think regardless of if it's Daniels or Bennett, really be physical at the point of attack on Saturday. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. If you missed our conversation with Ronnie Brown earlier, we'll have that for you when we come back. Also, BJ and I in about 20 minutes will look at can Auburn do just that? Can they run the football against this Georgia defense the way nobody else has thus far. It's three and out. Southern Pigskin.